Just a quick content note before the episode starts. This week's movie, The Bridge on the River Kwai, does take place in a Japanese prisoner of war camp during World War II. And we do talk about one scene of torture that takes place in this movie, though we don't go into any kind of graphic detail and the movie doesn't really either. And we do also mention suicide, as does the movie, though there is no actual suicide that takes place in the film. If you're not up for hearing about that today, totally fine. We hope you'll join us for the next episode or listen to this one later when you feel like you can. And with that, here's our episode for Bridge on the River Kwai. Do you know what will happen to me if the bridge is not ready in time? I haven't the foggiest. I'll have to kill myself. What would you do if you are me? I suppose if I were you, I'd have to kill myself. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we watched the second of the 1957 nominees, and the winner, The Bridge on the River Kwai, starring William Holden, Alec Guinness, and Seshu Hayakawa, which I probably pronounced incorrectly. Yeah. In a pretty good movie, David. You're right, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I am a fan. I don't think I really, like, one, I watched this movie so long ago. That I'd actually kind of I'd I'd remembered the nature of the ending. I'd remembered that Alec Guinness initially like fights to protect this bridge that by all rights he should be trying to destroy because it is an enemy bridge. And I remembered that after his initial hesitation, he does in fact blow up the bridge, which is true, but an extremely um, weird read on that scene. He does blow up the bridge, but that is on a technicality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, is it perfect? No, but is it very good? Yes. And really, I feel like for a movie that is about World War II, that is about Americans and British soldiers in a Japanese POW camp, it manages to portray the brutality of the Japanese military who is holding them and actually downplays it, to be honest, from the stuff that I have read about Japanese prisoner of war camps, while not being racist against Asian people generally, which is a weird, not weird, that's a good thing, is an unusual thing in Hollywood movies. Yeah. (laughs) My major problems with it, or my major problem with it, is just that they really felt like they needed to shove a tangential romance that lasts four seconds into this movie that is totally unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I think that they did something interesting, not with it directly. I just think it's fun that occasionally you cut back over to William Holden in a completely different movie. 
for like the middle hour and a half of this before he's sort of brought back into what this movie is titularly about. Yes. Where he spends a lot of time having escaped and going around and being convinced to come back and banging a nurse where it's just like he's off William holding it up for about an hour. Boy, he he is. Yeah, that is exactly what he is doing. <laughs> I also remember the first time I watched it, not really knowing who he was when I watched it and going like, this part's weird and boring and like atonal. Like this should not be in the movie. And like, yeah, by rights, it still probably shouldn't be in the movie. But now knowing William Holden's star persona and really like knowing him as like a 50s movie guy, it's actually a lot more entertaining to like, Alec Guinness, a man of principle, being burned to death in the hot sun in a shed because of the Geneva Convention. Cut back to Calypso music. William Holden <laughs> is banging a nurse and drinking martinis. And it's like, that's like... Does feel extremely on William Holden brand. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will give you that. No question. Yeah, so I guess we should go through the plot in case anyone has not seen this, which I feel like, you know, that's probably, uh, I don't feel like this is The Wizard of Oz. Like, there's a significant number of people who haven't seen this movie. For sure. And it's like, it's a long one. And like, a lot happens and you sort of have to go into detail about it. Because it is a movie where detail, like, matters a lot. It's also a movie where you cannot, like, go get a snack and not pause it. <laughs> yeah. Um there is a lot of stuff that happens without dialogue and and it's good, but it's like you got to pay attention. Literally, I was watching it with Nikki and there's one cut where like she literally looked down to like grab some food from the table. And I was like, "No, no, no, I have to go back 30 seconds because there is a cut at the end of a scene where it's like, I don't know if both of them are mad or if I'm mad or if it's just the sun." And then he just looks up at the sun and you smash cut to the camera looking directly into the sun. And then William Holden appears in shot to let you know you're actually in a completely different place. And like the sun is haloed around him as he like wanders through the desert. It rules. It's like one of the best cuts I've ever seen. This is also, I think, one of the first movies that we have watched that begins to get into the fact that even in the midst of war, even in the midst of horror, there are pieces of like natural beauty or like there are things that are in this movie that are not critical to the storytelling, but that create a context and a richness that I think is really uh, is really compelling and good. Yeah. It's complicated to talk about the plot of this because I, I sort of also realized watching it, which I had no context for the first time I watched it, that this movie is a kind of companion piece to The Grand Illusion. In a lot of ways, this story is about how pointless everything in this story is. Uh, yeah, in the end, it really is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that makes describing the plot kind of anticlimactic because that's the point of it 
all this stuff happens and in the end it all kind of cancels itself out and nothing really gets accomplished and a bunch of people are dead. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, bud, that's war. I mean, like the thing that gets accomplished is a bunch of people are dead, but there was a whole lot of steps in between there that, you know, maybe didn't have to be. So we, for the vast majority of our plot, we are following a Japanese prisoner of war camp in, I think it's Siam. It's a little confusing where it actually is. It is. Yeah. It's somewhere in Thailand. We begin where the only person we sort of care about in the camp is William Holden doing some like extremely gallows humor stuff about being a grave digger at this camp, having buried basically every other American soldier he knows. And then Alec Guinness arrives as British as Alec Guinness has ever been with a bunch of new British troops for this camp. And he immediately begins, like, this contest of wills with the commander of the camp around whether or not officers have to participate in manual labor, which by the Geneva Conventions, they do not. But by the nature of these camps, they do. So the first third of this movie is essentially Alec Guinness being tortured almost to death until he gives up his principles, which he never does, until the commander of this camp just has to give him what he wants because his men aren't working. And if the job doesn't get done, he will have to commit seppuku. <laughs> and so to save his own life, he eventually gives in to Alec Guinness. And it is a masterful physical performance from Alec Guinness. It is a masterful acting performance from the both of them. It is fascinating to watch, and it is great. And then also William Holden is escaping from the camp in another sequence of, of things. Like, I get what you're saying, because especially in this first act, whenever you cut over to William Holden, you're like, I want to go back to Alec Guinness. I don't have a problem with the, with the escape. That's going to be what it's going to be. It mm. is weirdly, like one thing that could be one montage but instead we keep cutting back to like and now here's where he is on his escape um i don't hate it i mean again i don't hate anything in this movie it's just like these are ways in which it is not exactly perfect and i think we just haven't as a as a species we have not yet figured out how to balance this like daring escape through the jungle and then meets up with the kindly Thai people who bring him to Bangkok, I guess, and take care of him. Intercut with this, like, very battle of wills thing that is happening that is much more psychological and much not quieter. Well, I mean, it is literally pretty quiet, but, you know, Alec Guinness is being tortured, but he's being tortured quietly by being put in a hot box. <laughs> that is just kind of a, a weird, like tonal shift every time we get back to William Holden. William Holden, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, like, in a way, the easiest way to talk about the plot of this movie is Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 for the two intersecting plot lines. But the problem is they don't intersect that much, and usually you prefer one or the other. By the end of the movie, I'm kind of like, can we get back to William Holden? Yes. <laughs> uh, though... I agree with you that Act 2 especially, Act 1 is his escape versus Alec Guinness kind of in this contest of wills. Act 2, he has escaped, 
He's been picked up and he's in Sri Lanka, actually. But it's I would have no way of knowing that from the story. Oh, he's in Sri Lanka. I Yeah, I had no idea. It was known as Ceylon at the time, which I had to Wikipedia that. Oh, I remember now they do say that they are in Ceylon at one point because I went, oh, yeah, I forgot that they used to call it that. And that was like the hole that my brain wrapped around it and then just immediately let go of it. Yeah. I never knew that about Sri Lanka. So I'm like, the fuck is a Ceylon? <laughs> um, and, and But like, anyway, the point is, that's where he is. And he is eventually talked into as kind of being generous. He is forced to go back to blow up this bridge by British commandos because he knows the area because he escaped from it. And also because he was impersonating an American officer who died in order to be treated better by the Japanese because he did understand the Geneva Convention and then didn't know that the Japanese military was not going to live up to that. Yeah. So ended up having to be a grave digger anyway. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, having kind of won the contest of wills and gotten what he wanted, Alec Guinness is... Um, essentially taking over the bridge building project to show that like British engineering is superior to Japanese engineering. Like he would like to break their spirit from the point of view of being a prisoner of war by just doing a better job for them than they could have done themselves. And let me tell you the psychological twisting that he does to convince himself that this is we're really sticking it to them. Yeah. is something to watch. It's amazing. Like, it is genuinely, like, I did it as a bit, and then I was like, oh, this isn't a bit. This is actually the plot of the movie is, men will really build a bridge on the River Kwai rather than go to therapy. <laughs> like, Yeah, that... I mean, yeah. <laughs> but that is, that is Alec Guinness's plot in this. Um, but yes, he he becomes sort of increasingly obsessed with building the bridge over why he's building the bridge, why he's here in this prison camp, that there's a war on. That section has still a great performance from him, a lot of interesting stuff going on in it. It has this absolutely bonkers batshit shot where they start on the shore of the river. Oh, yeah. While he's chatting with his men. And do kind of a long tracking shot along the beach until at some point they must mount the camera to this raft that Alec Guinness and all of the men get on. And then they just sort of lazily drift along the river on this ramp in a sink that's all one shot. And it's nuts. Yeah. Especially when you take into consideration that the bank of this river where they're shooting is just like rocky soil that sometimes is mud. I'm like, man, that camera operator was incredible. <laughs> yeah. I, like it's and I genuinely was sitting there like, where's the blue screen? Like, how? when did they digitally impose all these guys in the background doing all this shit? And it's like they didn't they just shot that yep uh, anyway so those are the act two plots and then act three you're sort of watching william holden try and get back to the bridge with these british commandos in the most war movie -y part of this war movie <laughs> yeah it's a lot of like going through the jungle and like somebody gets hurt and then we have to carry them and then 
it is the most war movie part of this. And I, but also is good. Yeah, I'm I'm not really saying that as an insult. It's just like that. It sort of becomes more interesting because on the uh, the more interesting plot line, because on the other hand, you're watching Alec Guinness just kind of celebrate that he built this bridge, which is still fascinating to watch. Like that scene where he is just talking with Saito on the bridge about like, what does it all mean? You know, I've been in the service for 27 years. And then he just mm-hmm. like drops his writing crop and just walks away. And it's just like that scene is incredible. I love it. But plot-wise, in Act 3, Alec Guinness's plot is basically done until the last scene, where our two intertwining plots finally intertwine again. Because William Holden and the commandos get to the bridge and are trying to blow up the bridge precisely as the first train crosses it, because it'll have some VIPs on the train and it'll just cause maximum damage to the supply line if they do it that way. And so they've sort of set the whole thing up. And they do it perfectly, and none of the Japanese soldiers notice the the charges set to the supports of the bridge. But Alec Guinness notices. And this is his baby. He built this bridge. He built the bridge. Something's going on. He's got to, like, they put up this plaque. God, it's, again, so many great details in this movie. But the plot is kind of like, hey, nothing really matters, because that's the point of the plot. But he grabs Saito and they go down and they follow the line to the guy sitting there on the the shore of the river waiting to blow the bridge. And Alec Guinness gets him and William Holden killed and himself killed and Saito killed. And then his body falls on the plunger for the charge and blows up the bridge right as the train crosses it, destroying all the work he did anyway, even though he also has this moment of just, like, total panic when he realizes, like, oh, God, I, like, got, I've gotten it completely fucking twisted. Like, I've, I, I'm not here to build a bridge. That's not what I'm here for. And, again, role Alec Guinness was born to play. Fucking, he's amazing <laughs> in every scene. I mean... Was it was it this or was it Obi-Wan? Oh, it was this. Like, th- like Obi-Wan, it, when you watch this, it's amazing how much Obi-Wan is, like, trading off of this, right? Is like, that, that, like, Alec Guinness always kind of famously hated that he was in Star Wars because he was like, I just have to say all this dumb exposition shit. Like, I have to just, like, try and make all of this stuff sound important and cool. And it all is, like, fucking nonsense. Like, the Clone Wars? The hell is a Clone War? <laughs> And, like, on the one hand, he's wrong, right? Because, like, Obi-Wan rules because he is this guy that, like, expands the universe for you and, like, is this wizened old figure that goes, like, hey, all of this stuff is really important because Alec Guinness is saying it. However, he's also right in that what makes that important in the context of Star Wars is Alec Guinness is saying it. None of the shit Obi-Wan says is actually, like, that meaningful or important within A New Hope, the actual film in which Alec Guinness appears. Like, he is an exposition bot in that movie. Yeah, but, like, it's Alec Guinness, so it has to be important because he's doing that Alec Guinness voice and he's holding himself like what's happening right now is important. So it must be. I think this is the role that really... Because we've seen him before in one or two things, and he's just like kind of a blandly like young Alec Guinness is just a handsome guy. Um, this is where Alec Guinness is fucking Alec Guinness locks in. 
of just like, oh, this is his type. Yeah, what was the other thing that we saw him in that was like... You didn't even notice that he was in it. Uh, he's in. Uh, uh, oh, Great Expectations. Thank you. I was like one of the Dickenses. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, Alec Guinness was in this? Huh. Did not even notice. Yeah. Alec Guinness, absolutely a guy who became hot at 40. Yeah. Because he was just like generic, good looking, smooth boy from Britain in <laughs> Great Expectations. And in this, you're like, why, hello, Alec Guinness. Also, while we're talking about why hello, uh, did you see the picture of young Sesura Hayakawa as a matinee idol? Oh, my dear God. Yes. Like, this guy is the hottest Asian guy I've ever fucking seen. Apparently, it was kind of a problem for 19 teens, 20s, and 30s America because he was so hot that lots of white women were throwing themselves at him and you couldn't do anything because he was gorgeous so like what do you uh and like he had a kid with a white woman and like that was a whole disaster because that wasn't even supposed to be legally possible yeah though he did end up getting custody of that child yeah he he lived a fascinating life yeah and not not entirely a happy one, um, as you would. No, not at all. But showing up in Bridge on the River Kwai, where it is remarkable not just that it is not a racist performance, but just like the range that Saito is allowed to show within this movie, the like vulnerability and failure. Because for the first 30 minutes, you're like, why is Saito not cited as like one of the great film villains, right? Because he's fantastic when he's just like ruthlessly awful breaking the geneva conventions like just like will not have his authority questioned but he's also fucking fantastic once alec guinness just breaks him and he is just like yeah you run the camp now like i've my authority has been completely undermined everyone knows it succeeds in the goal that he needed to succeed in not to kill himself and still plans on killing himself because of the shame it has brought him to to have done it in this way and in yet another thing about the ending that's utterly pointless, Saito is shot and killed by the British commandos, and it doesn't fucking matter because he was going to kill himself at the end of the day anyway. He does give some humanity to this guy who could be just completely a monster. Mm -hmm. And there does seem to be this feeling of like, yeah, I'm also stuck in this situation. This war sucks, but I don't have any choice in the matter and neither does anybody else. So I have to act this way. Which is really fascinating because, you know, you don't want to like the guy. <laughs> and I do think it's fascinating that you don't. People are allowed to, like, reveal layers of themselves in this movie without it being like, oh, ho, did you realize that the Japanese war criminal was actually a man of who's had difficulties in his own life? Yeah, still seems like the dude sucks. But like, yeah, he does have an inner life and you watch it and you are fascinated by it. But I, you don't end up doing that thing of like, and then they get along and they're all like, it's all okay now. Um, yes, there's definitely not a moment where you think, oh, okay, well, what he's doing is all right because he's being forced to do this by people who are above him. It's more like war fucking sucks and everybody has to do terrible shit. So maybe, like, let's not do a war? <laughs> yeah. God. That scene where he first brings Alec Guinness out of the hot box to, like, try and wine him, dine him into doing a compromise of some kind so that he can save face. 
and explains like, hey, I never actually wanted to be in the army. I like wanted to go to university. I wanted to go to art school. Yeah. And my family like made me go to the military. And now I'm in this position where I have to build this bridge. Or we have this thing called seppuku. It's ritual suicide. If I fail, I would have to kill myself. Now, what would you do in my position? And Alec Guinness not having eaten anything substantial and sitting in a fucking metal shed for days on end in the hot sun, just downs a glass of whiskey and goes, well, if I was you, I suppose I'd have to kill myself. Yep. And like... <laughs> and then somehow is like, but I guess if you just let me be in charge of my men. And then they have this ongoing like back and forth where Saito says, you know, oh, we'll let these officers not do manual labor and Alec Guinness is like nope <laughs> like the most British thing ever and then so I just says okay well and then the next ones will do whatever but we'll still have these people and of course by the end of the movie Alec Guinness actually has his officers doing manual labor because they have to get the bridge done on time yep. so he's even sold himself out at that point also goes and makes the men on the sick list go work yes. which Saito threatens to do in the first act does everything Saito threatens to do and tries to force them to do voluntarily just so that he can have the pride of a job well done on building this bridge? I mean, he's just like kind of lost it, right? Like this is the the idea that if we build this bridge, it will be an honor to the British Empire that we collaborated with the enemy. <laughs> yeah. Like he really has talked himself into this in a way that... Is it Major Clifton, who's the medical officer, who's like, yeah, I'm not going to come to the unveiling of the bridge. I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> yeah. You also like, even though he is talking himself into something that is kind of on its face ridiculous, what, like, what Alec Guinness is doing here, what Colonel Nicholson, his character, which I'm not sure we've ever actually said the character's name instead of just Alec Guinness. Which is my fault, but just like, right, he is playing someone. He isn't physically Alec Guinness in the film. Yes, his character is not named <laughs> Alec Guinness. <laughs> While Nicholson has, like, obviously talked himself into a proposition that is absurd on his face, that, like, helping the enemy build this bridge and have a transport line is actually going to be good for Britain, um, is absurd, you do also get the sense of, like, Hey, he's the only person who actually built something. Like, the only thing that gets better at any point in Bridge on the River Kwai is they build this bridge on the River Kwai. Like, it's the only thing that's, that's like... That's true. I hadn't really thought about that, but that is the only thing that's, that is accomplished. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess also they blow up this bridge on the River Kwai is the other but... thing that is accomplished, but... <laughs> Yeah, like, not to the degree that, like, it's good that he gets a whole bunch of British soldiers killed and dies no. himself. But you do kind of understand that he has become more attached to this bridge than even he knows. That, like, the, in the moment where there are all these great shots when, like, uh, uh, William Holden gets there, where they're, like, looking down on it and they're like, God, they've even forced the officers to work on this. They must be so dispirited right now. If only they knew we were here, ready to blow up this bridge for them. Meanwhile, Alec Guinness is just down there nailing in a plaque like, do-do-do-do-do. This, we've done it. I built a bridge. Woo! Woo! <laughs> like, it is... It is something else. 
I always love watching the, like, one man's descent into madness, and this is a very well-performed version of it because it never becomes melodramatic. Yeah, like, the scene where he loses it is literally the last scene of the movie. Up until then, you're like, oh, he's kind of losing the plot a little. Like, it's, mm. But, like, in other Descent into Madness movies, there's always the, like, and then we all have to eat shears now. (laughs) This moment of, like, oh, now they've thoroughly gone over, gone off the deep end, and there's just no recovering from this. The scene where that happens for Alec Guinness, he's dead within two minutes of that happening. Yeah. Less, probably. Up until then, like, you're on this journey with him in a weird kind of way. You're able to recognize, like, he probably shouldn't be this jazzed about building a bridge for the Japanese during World War II, my man. But, like, you see how he got there. That, like, the actual original idea of kind of breaking the camp spirit by doing a better job than they were going to do works. Like, Saito is defeated thoroughly. Yeah. But at some point, And it's hard to pinpoint the exact point. At some point, he loses the plot and it becomes about building this bridge more than about fighting in World War II. And yeah, this movie is good, Susan. I really like it. It is really good. Yeah. (laughs) I guess we should should rate it. Oh, actually, I want to talk about William Holden's time in Ceylon before that. Sure. Because this is why I'm not going to give this movie a 10. And while I do find that section entertaining where he is with a nurse who is never named mm-hmm. and is just drinking martinis on the beach, making out with a blonde nurse. I mean, yeah, it's it's entertaining. It is so like, what the fuck am I in now? Like, what is this movie? The reason that that's there is at some point in the filming of this, the studio realized that there was not a white woman in the entire film. So they shoved this scene in and it, feels like it (laughs) and even William Holden apparently thought that it was pointless and silly and you kind of get that impression from his performance to be honest (laughs) but you know it's still William Holden doing the thing that he does best which is William Holden it up (laughs) it's not a thing that's not enjoyable to watch it's just why is this here (laughs) I you know I thought I was more behind it until I until you told me the thing about, like, the studio just felt they needed a white woman. Which, like, because I think not knowing that, my feeling of it is, like, that is incredibly discordant in a way that ends up working for the movie in a weird way. That, like, it is... This movie likes, I think, to put you into a rhythm and make you feel like, hey, that's the entire world, and then shake you out of it. Mm, Yeah. In a way that I really enjoy, generally. And so I was kind of giving, like, with these dueling plot lines, I like that it's jarring. I like that, like, as things get worse and worse in the camp, like, William Holden is just this dumb fuck getting laid in Sri Lanka. And, like, I, I in general, I think that's good. The specific production note you're telling me is, like, oh, yeah. Also, though, this is just a thing that happened because we got to have a hot blonde in there. And, like, that sucks. The thing is, I feel like there's a way that you make that work, right? That you have these moments or this scene where he's living it up getting laid in Sri Lanka, as you said, 
but if you are doing it just to be like, oh, we got to shove a blonde in there, it feels like it was rushed. The dialogue is just like cringe inducing. She refers to him by his military title or rank. And he says something like, oh, should I call you Lieutenant Lover? And I was like, what is this garbage dialogue? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay. So it actually was just that they had to rush out a white lady in here, which is so bizarre. Like, it because there's an Asian woman who is in, who is helping them go through the jungle, like... Oh, we can't have an Asian woman, but not a white woman? Because it's not like this white woman is a major character. Again, she's never even named. Yeah. So it's uh, very, very bizarre that they felt that that was a necessary addition. But, you know, also Hollywood in the 50s was... I mean, Hollywood, period, continues to be hugely fucking problematic. <laughs> yeah. And like, which is fine. I mean, like, uh, I mean, it's not fine, yeah. but that's like why I can't go all the way up to a 10. But I'm going to say nine. I'm st I'm still going to do 10. I understand it. That is the thing that sucks the most about the movie. And it does suck. I'm I'm we've still given a 10 to stuff that's had some wild like Hollywood is not a great place shit in it no I mean that, that that it's not that it's that I think it's actually bad like I hated that scene I thought that it was really just terrible like it's very badly written and, and I understand what you mean but like my giving it that great is not based on Hollywood's absurdity it's based on they did it and then they did it badly <laughs> but that's fine you can give it a 10 yeah yeah, I think it's a thing for me where I will agree with you. That scene is bad. The dialogue in it is bad. It is beamed in from another movie. I think the movie lucks out that that works for me. That, that like, it being a weird, bad scene that's beamed in from another movie, actually kind of in terms of the pacing of the film, kind of like, Oh, you would be beamed in from another movie. Like this, this should feel like it is beamed in from another movie in a weird way. Because you are doing this huge tonal jump on purpose, even without that scene from the camp to Ceylon. Yeah, well, I think I think that the the other stuff in Ceylon actually is very effective in that regard. Mm -hmm. I think that's why actually it bothers me so much is that I mean, one, like cast a better actor yeah. to play the nurse. William Holden is selling it to me, even though apparently he hated it and thought that his performance in that particular scene was garbage and that the scene was garbage. Fine. But like the actress who plays the nurse is not even listed in the cast on Wikipedia because like it's just so not important at all. But yeah, I mean, I feel like also like how are you going to really cast a better actor? It's such a thankless part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Sears. Okay, she is actually on the the cast list just as nurse <laughs> which is what she is that's it that's her character i don't honestly disagree with you about anything you're saying about that except like it it is i it bugged me less that that film that that scene was bad it is bad it's bad it's bad why they did it the performances in it are bad the dialogue is bad. You have to kind of go so bad it's good to accept it at all as part of the film. And I'm still giving it a 10 because, like, I don't know. Like, this is the first movie we've watched. I've liked other long movies we've watched. But this is the first movie we watched where I paused, was over an hour into the movie, went, 
oh, we're not even halfway in and said that with excitement. Like, we're not even halfway through with this. Uh, Yeah, that's incredibly unusual. Yeah. I'm totally fine with you giving it a 10. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. I'm just explaining why I'm not going to. As far as should you watch this movie, though, yeah, watch this movie. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I, like, honest to God, Alec Guinness is, in addition to just being, doing great acting in general, that scene where he walks out of the oven, the, like, hot box metal shed, Ugh. literally maybe the best physical acting I've ever seen in my life. Did you read the note about that? Yeah. That he uh, he calls it the finest acting he's ever done, which is accurate. Alec Guinness, good opinion. Uh, but also says he based it on his 11-year-old uh, son who was recovering from polio. Yeah, subconsciously, <laughs> which I find to be interesting, of like, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was channeling that. But I, God, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. And also really lovely because it's like, oh, okay, Alec Guinness was thinking so much about his son that that was in the forefront of his mind, whether he wanted it to be or not. Yeah. I mean, Alec Guinness is phenomenal in this. William Holden is phenomenal in this. I feel like there are times where we watch William Holden movies and I'm like, why is this guy so famous? And then there are movies like this where I go, this is why this guy's so famous. Okay, got it. Yeah, I think probably the reason he hates that scene on the beach, besides that it sucks, is that like that is the thing that we don't like about William Holden and that he seems to not like is that in a weird way, as an actor, William Holden can get away with anything, right? He looks like that. He's got that sort of smarmy swagger to his voice and he just says some dumb shit thing while staring at a woman and now they want to sleep with each other. That kind of lazy version of William Holden sucks. Yeah. When that is put to good use by a film, when he is challenged in any way as an actor, he's a really good actor. Yeah. He convinced me in Picnic that he was 25 or whatever when he was like 43. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a damn, he's a damn fine actor. But yeah, there's definitely times where I'm like, what? I, well, was it Love is a Many Splendored Thing? He was in that, right? See, like, he's... Yes. See, that movie was so bad that I'm like, how is that the same person? I think that, like, similarly to the bad scene in this movie, my he weirdly escaped blame for that movie from me because there was this sense of, like, he hates being in this as much as I hate watching it. Which is, like, not fair. He's in the fucking movie. He, like, he, <laughs> he did that whole fucking movie. Went to work yeah. every day and filmed it and everything. And yet somehow I'm like, well, he knows this sucks, too. Yeah. We're buds. And it's like, no. that <laughs> <laughs> You do kind of have that feeling with him, right? Of, like, we're both suffering through this. It's fine. <laughs> and, yeah. like, nah, dude. He got paid. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not getting paid to watch this <laughs> shit. What the fuck, William Holden? And yet, I'm like, oh, okay, th this was not his fault, which is a very yeah. weird thing for me to do. I do want to say just, like, I called out a couple of the, like, big shots, um, but, like, the cinematography in this movie. Oh, yeah. Just oh, so many, yeah. like, small choices, where to put a camera, how to put a camera, that there's this shot that starts angled sort of down the hill toward the camp. And you don't quite realize how far below Saito's hut you are until the camera pans over to it. And suddenly it's like you're almost underground. You're so low looking up at this, 
where you're just like, that is such a small, subtle thing. And it is so thematically, like, it's so good. Um, And there are just tons of little touches like that in this movie that are fantastic. Also, though, this movie does day for night shots that are absolute garbage. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I I was going to argue with you of like, well, but you know, this is a pretty new thing. And like, yeah, but that's the point of this podcast is that we don't go like, yeah, but you know, they didn't know what they were doing yet. It's like, does it stand up? No, it it really doesn't. I don't think they cancel each other out. I think there's way more good cinematography than bad cinematography in this movie. But I do think that it is hilarious that this movie has some of the most impressive shots in film history. Just stuff we've never seen before, even in Citizen Kane, even in like some of the most famous movies of all time. There are shots in this where I'm like, holy fuck, we're taking it to a new level. And then also there's just like men wandering around in a field clearly at two in the afternoon trying to pretend like it's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Because <laughs> they put a blue filter on it. Yeah, it's it's not great. Um, I will say that there's also some really interesting set dressing choices, especially in Saito's house cabin. It's like, I mean, it's a it's in Thailand, and you know, it's hot there, so it's very open. But there's one shot where he's looking out after he's gotten out of his house robe and into his uniform and he's looking out at the prisoners who have just come in and there are a whole lot of them and there's an orchid that is in the window a potted orchid that is growing you know into and through the window probably for the sun i don't know a whole lot about plants but i do know what orchids look like um and just that kind of little detail the glasses and the cups the calendar that they have that's like a calendar that they clearly took off of a gi like it's a garage it's a it's a pinup calendar from a garage in idaho yeah it is stuff like that where it's like there's never a scene where you see like saito like stealing everybody's mail or anything there's a scene where as a gift he gives them their own mail he should be by rights be giving them all the time it's i mean it's worse than that it's their red cross like food packages <laughs> right but like there is not these big scenes yeah you don't see him get the calendar you don't see him plant an orchid these are just like things where you get an idea of the context that we've been dropped into in a really a really thoughtful way that i feel like has been I wouldn't say like missing necessarily, but that uh, we haven't had in a lot of films yet. Yeah. That there was something going on here before we got here for this movie. Yeah. And it's good. I mean, like what's going on is not great, but but the movie is good. (laughs) Yeah. The movie is very good. I think part of the reason I'm giving it a 10 is that like, it's interesting to me how much, not just thematically, that just like, this is the grand illusion as a Hollywood blockbuster, right? Like it's dealing with the same themes. It has a lot of the same plot beats even, but there's a giant explosion at the end. And like, there has to be a random blonde in act two. <laughs> Cause otherwise we can't sell this movie. And I'm like, she's not even on the poster, man. You didn't need her. <laughs> yeah. 
And like that definitely has some problems, but it also has some like this movie has better cinematography than Grand Illusion. And oh, Grand yeah. Illusion had fucking amazing cinematography. And better art direction. Like the, the I keep thinking about the house in Grand Illusion now that you're making this comparison where uh, toward the end where uh, they go to the German woman's house for a while. And it's like everything mm-hmm. in there is just like what you need bare necessity to convey that this is a house that someone lives in. And there's very little of that, like, unnecessary detail that, despite being unnecessary, tells so much of a story in just one object. Of course, like, I'm very prone to think that art direction and costume design are, like, two of the most important parts of anything. But they do. I mean, they really do tell stories. The fact that we have this calendar from the garage in Idaho, and we also know from William Holden that all of the other GIs are dead is like that that was somebody's yeah and it's just hanging on that wall and that person is dead yeah it's a lot it's a lot it's really good shit man (laughs) yeah you know my summary of this movie is that that scene that last scene it all comes together And it's all amazing and genuinely just like some of the finest filmmaking on every level we've ever seen. Except then they have to put the button on it of the fucking like doctor guy coming down and saying madness, madness over and over again to end the film on. And it's like, buddy, I didn't need you to tell me (laughs) like I knew that that is a really super weird thing that I didn't I didn't bring up mostly because I'm like, I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the movie ends with the the guy after the bridge blows up, the the Burmese women just like look at him like he's a fucking monster because he did shoot his own men and tries to explain like it's better than the, them being taken prisoner. It's better. Now let's get our stuff and leave. That should be the end of the movie. I don't know what you're talking about. That is the end of the movie. Did, was there something else that happened? Yeah. I I must have gotten a truncated version. Nope. Hmm. Weird. <laughs> nope. The movie fades to black after he after he says that while they're wandering away. Fades to black. End of film. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good movie. You should watch it. Is it perfect? No. Is it close? Yeah. I would say, like, I agree it isn't perfect, but at two hours and 40 minutes, I think it is perfect enough for a 10. I understand Susan respectfully disagreeing with me, and I do not fault her for it. (laughs) Excellent. Next week, speaking of things that are probably not going to be perfect, we are watching Sayonara, which is the movie that has an actual Asian woman playing an Asian woman, so that's unusual. And has Brando. And Marlon Brando. Who's not steered us wrong yet. I mean, maybe it would be good. Who knows? Yeah, I I have a feeling it is not going to be as good as the last two movies we watched, but I also am hopeful that it is not a movie that we will be like, should we Bengal answer this? Yeah, I mean, Miyoshi Umeki actually won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for her role in this, so... I'm hoping for, like, a solid double. I'm hoping for, like, a six or a seven on this one. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be a real step up from every other movie with an Asian woman in it as a lead we've ever seen. Yes. Because all the other ones, I would have to put Asian woman in quotes. That is true. Yes. Uh, uh, Unless 
they were not romantically involved with anyone, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. So, tune in next week to find out if Hollywood got it together. Um, or if they didn't. If they got... that, If, you know, we can at least say, well, they cast an Asian woman to play an Asian woman. And that is... Sadly, an improvement. <sighs> yeah. I was going to say something, but it's really not. <laughs> yeah. And until then... I got to come up with something to say besides this was a movie when a movie's good. Because, like, y'all... Bridge on the River Kwai is a movie. Like, it it just is. And, and it's a good movie. You, and it's a good movie. And if you don't think that it is, then you're wrong. <laughs> so take that. Uh, <laughs> Goodbye. I mean, if you don't think that it is, like, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. Uh, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> I'm, you're not entitled to that opinion. I will. I'll fight you. If you don't think this is a movie, I'll fight you. You name a time and a place, and I will probably not show up because it probably won't escalate to that point. But I will I will fight somebody about this being a movie if that ever somehow comes up. But un- until then, goodbye to everybody I didn't end this weirdly aggressively with. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. You'll go on without me. That's an order. You're in command now, Shears. I won't obey that order. You make me sick with your heroics. There's a stench of death about you. You carry it in your pack like the plague. Explosives and L-pills, they go well together, don't they? And with you, it's just one thing or the other. Destroy a bridge or destroy yourself. This is just a game, this war. You and that Colonel Nicholson, you're two of a kind. Crazy with courage. For what? How to die like a gentleman. How to die by the rules when the only important thing is how to live like a human being.